0: continue in our series on Mark. And as always, Mark is, as I say every week, always pushing us and prodding us and moving us along to what it means to be a disciple, to what Jesus is really doing here and how the world is being opened up in a new way towards justice and life and grace and mercy. This, this past week I was um, like I was thinking about this message in a sense of, you know, we in the church talk about Sabbath in a lot. Uh, it, well, we don't talk about it a lot, but when we do talk about it, we talk about it in a sense of sort of a rest, right? We take a Sabbath rest. And so when we understand Sabbath from the, from the Hebrew scriptures, it is this day, this every seventh day that we stop, that we don't work that we rest we allow those around us to rest and oftentimes self-care in lots of senses now is sabbath becomes about self-care right like oh i need to care for myself i need to rest i need to stop working which is great and good especially for us in our american society to remember that we do need to rest but there's also A big, major economic theme in this idea of Sabbath. And today, as we talk about Sabbath, I want you to think about that. More so than rest, I want you to think about how Sabbath can engage economically, how it can empower economically our lives and the lives around us. Because we can't talk about Sabbath and not talk about the impact that it would have On the economy. Because in every sense, Sabbath is a resistance of this economy, of Pharaoh's economy, which says we must work, 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 go, do more, do more, do more, build, build, build. You are what you do, you are what you build. Sabbath is a moment where we step back from that space and we are reminded that God is in control of all things and we rest in God's control. That for one day a week, we will give our souls to God and not Pharaoh, not the forces of the economy. And we will trust that six days will be enough, that six days out of seven is enough. And maybe we don't feel like it is enough, but we are reminded to have faith in God, that God is indeed enough. And so I was having this conversation with somebody this week about about the economy and everything, and um, some of my old sort of childhood uh, memories in church were triggered and I was thinking about um, the mark of the beast you know 666 in Revelation and I think the conversation was going something like um, you know the sort of idea that Bill Gates is injecting uh, microchips into our bodies and uh, the government's going to track us and that's always a kind of a fun conversation to me because like oh my let us not be tracked I mean, let us not give in to anything that may track us all day long and we have around us all day long and we keep on our skin all day long. And I know y'all, some of y'all put this thing under your pillow at night, right? Like you cannot sleep without it. It goes up under there. Me, I I don't do that. Um, I put it out in the living room and I don't bother. And sometimes... Sometimes people call me because like something happens, like usually it's not an emergency, but something happens and, you know, they're like, hey, I want to let you know. And they call me at like 11. I, I, I just want y'all to know I'm not awake at 11. Um, you, if, if you want to get in touch with me, basically think this. Think, is Grandpa Johnny asleep? And if your answer is yes to that question, then I'm also asleep at that moment. And you can wake up in the morning and think, is Grandpa Johnny awake? It, you know, it's 630? Like, oh yeah, he's probably awake. I too am awake at that point. But we go to bed early. Um, no, we no, there's no we in my house. I go to bed early in my house, and I just you know, I'm I'm old. I have an old spirit. So um, I digress. But my point is that we a- allow ourselves to be tracked all the time, right? I mean, if anybody really wants to track us, they can do it this way. Or they can do it through Alexa, which we have in every room of our house. Or they can do it through our TVs that we have in lots of rooms in our house, or on our thermostats, or on our doorbells. Or like, like so, um, yeah, let's have a different conversation if we want to have about like being tracked by the government, because like we are all the time. But this conversation began in the sense of like when I was younger, and this idea like one day in the future, that, the, the one world government and the antichrist is going to embrand all of us with um the mark of the beast on our foreheads or our hands and that's why we're gonna buy and sell everything right and we're like we would never do that except when we go to the store and we apple pay and we scan it Beep. <laughs> or we um or we buy from amazon on our never mind I, I i'm getting too close to home but anyway i'm um This idea that we will have the mark of the beast is uh, basically in Revelation is this reminder that in an unjust economy, don't give yourself to an unjust, exploitative way of doing business. And in Revelation, when it talks about the mark of the beast, it is not literally something that you're going to be branded on ourselves or some microchip that will be implanted. I mean, like y'all, we're, we, we're going to have biotechnology in a few short series. So, we, you know, it's just the reality of our life and we'll all embrace it and it would be wonderful, whatever. But, but like when the Bible talks about the mark of the beast or whatever, it is not talking about some literal mark that gets put on us. It is talking about our idolatry of an exploitative economic situation like we give ourselves because of capitalism or whatever system we live in we give ourselves to that instead of giving ourselves to justice to mercy to compassion and so in this sense in this space in this place we must remember that we are called to something, even in the economy that we live in, that we are called to put people over profit, that we are called to dismantle and push against any systems that would seek to exploit anyone else for someone else's gain, certainly for someone else's economic I am one who believes that if you can make money, make as much money as you can. Like, I am in support of you. I will get behind you. I will be your cheerleader. And I will remind you to give 10% to the church because it is a tithe. So make all that you can good, but don't do it through anything that would exploit anyone else. Don't do that. Don't make profit if people are going to be harmed in the making of your profit because now you have entered a territory which we are explicitly reminded as followers of Jesus that we cannot be part of that there are bunches of ways to make money in this world lots of people are making money great go do it but make sure when you do it you aren't hurting other people You aren't exploiting other people. You aren't exploiting communities that are vulnerable and historically marginalized. You can still make profit by lifting them up. People are doing it all the time. And if you are part of a business or a corporation that builds themselves and makes money by exploiting other people, then you need to find another job. There are plenty of jobs. If you're part of something that is exploiting somebody else, then you need to find another place to work. And so all that leads us into this space where Jesus is on the Sabbath. Here we go. One Sabbath, Mark says, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to them, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when he was, and his companions were hungry and in need? In those days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said, the Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went to the synagogue. Another time. Oh, let me tell you about another time. Another time, Jesus went to the synagogue. Y'all got to get this. And a man was there. You'll never believe this. He had a shriveled hand. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal them on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man in front of... It's a, Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Jesus is making a public spectacle here. He's not keeping it a secret. He's putting it on the news. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to them, Stretch out your hand, friend. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. At this point, Jesus withdrew to his disciples to the lake. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Here we find Jesus in these two sabbath encounters. Here when 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 we understand what was going on in the first century, the Pharisees were very religious, of course, about sabbath keeping. They had in many ways made an idol out of the law. We would never do that, would we? We would never, like, see someone suffering because of a law and say, well, you know, that's the law. Just because something is legal doesn't make it right. Slavery was legal. The Holocaust was legal. Jim Crow was legal. All of those things were legalized by the governments that were in charge. But yet, we can stand back today and remember these things were deeply unjust, and we should not have been participating in them. And we should have been people who willingly broke the law when people's lives were at stake, right? So we have this cool t-shirt, you know, many of you have it. Love everybody. Break the rules. Break the rules. Love everyone. And so that's what we believe as followers of Jesus. If there is some unjust law, then like, that, that harms people, then by all means, break it go be a revolutionary in that sense because we want to put people first. We want to put people first. And we can, in some ways, get lost in our laws, can't we? Get lost in our rules. Make idols of our rules and forget that there's people's lives at stake all around us that we can still have compassionate laws, right? We can still say, hey, you know what? Immigrant friend, well, maybe you can't stay here, but we'll help you. We'll help you get a better life. Maybe you can't stay here forever, but we'll certainly help you have a better life. Okay, that's reasonable, and that's good. What is not reasonable is to say, oh, immigrant, you don't belong here. Take, Give me your child, and we will separate you, and you will never see your child again. Well, and that is the law. That is wrong. And is unjust and is not what Jesus would ever want. And so we must always make these differentiations, right? We can get lost in our laws, as the Pharisees did with the Sabbath. They got lost in their laws. Because the Sabbath said, Well, you can't work. You can't you can't you can't pick grain on the Sabbath. You can't heal anybody because that's the that's work. You can't do these things. And Jesus is pushing back against them all. Y'all, Jesus was a pain in the behind, okay? We think that Jesus was like this nice guy who had children on his lap all the time, and he was white, and he had that face that just looked up and was like smiling, you know? I mean, every church everywhere has that one, right? Every Methodist church does anyway. But Jesus... Okay, was not white, and he was very abrasive in many ways. He pushed back. Like, I was thinking this morning, taking a shower. I was like, you know what would be fun? This is the way I, this is stuff I think about. You know what would be fun? If, um, if Jesus was on Twitter, like, that would be really fun. And Jesus was just, like, making fun of other people and pushing back against other people. I mean, aren't that, aren't those the best? Like, I don't know if y'all follow Twitter or not, but I don't really. I'm not on Twitter but I follow it sometimes. And the best, Twitter, the best tweets are the ones that like, somebody said something and then somebody else burns them. Just like, oh, let me point out your incongruencies and the way that you're wrong thinking. Like Jesus would be so good at that. Anyway, I dig- I, I'm so sorry. I digress all over the place today. I'm sorry. But here Jesus is. He is going through the fields and he is eating. This is ridiculous, isn't it? Jesus is eating the grains. And the Pharisees get mad at him for that. Like, What are you doing? Stop it. And Jesus pushes back on them and says, listen, people are hungry. And every time people are hungry, they have a right to eat. And so this is not just Jesus. Like when we think of Jesus's interactions, sometimes we get lost and we think it's just one interaction. But Jesus is always speaking to the bigger situation here. And the bigger situation in this moment is saying this, if people are hungry on the Sabbath, then they need to eat. People are hungry and it is your job not to enforce some stupid rule about some stupid Sabbath rule. Your job is to feed the people. If people are hungry, then your job, your God-given job is to empower flourishing in their future. And so do that. But yet you are worried about the minutiae little rules of this and that. You are being the purity police, whether I'm doing this or that. And you've completely forgotten your God-given mission to empower the flourishing of people's futures. You've forgotten who you are. And I look around at the church today, and I think so often, we're forgetting who we are, aren't we? We get lost in these little rules. Whether we, we let's let's just be honest, the church has spent more time than anybody should have ever spent on worrying about who's having sex with who. And like, my goodness, can we just move on and look to what really matters in the world? Because what really matters is that there are communities being ground down and exploited and marginalized. There are children who are starving to death in America right now. The church should worry about that. The church should give itself to that because that is what matters. That is life and death. We should be that force in the world, not the purity police, not who ones are worried about what you did on Friday night or who you did it with. We should stand up to any force of injustice in the world. Imagine if the, if the church in America all united and said, we will no longer tolerate hunger in our communities. We will no longer tolerate the violence against any group of people simply because of the, their, 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 the color of their skin or who they're in love with. We will not tolerate that. And we will stand up against it. And we will march in the streets. And we will pool our money. And we will come together. And we will be part of the solution. What if, what if the church in America did that? What if we did that? What An incredible movement that we would be. But yet, we are often the people who get lost in the minutia of the rules. Well, we can't do that because this said this and that said that. And and like we really need to focus all of our attention over here. Jesus is pointing out the incongruency of their belief system. How people are suffering and dying, but yet they're worried that he ate a few little wheat seeds. And then another time. Jesus went to the synagogue, the public gathering on a Saturday, a Friday night or a Saturday morning here with the Jews would worship. And a man with, with a shriveled hand was there. Now we think this, and we think, oh, poor guy, right? And yes, poor guy. But this is about economics. You know, if, if if living in this day and age, they were all day workers. Everybody had a day worker job. You had to work hard. No one had a computer gig. No one had, no one was a manager of a, a Fortune 500 company. Everybody had to go out and work all day long, hard, labor, work, digging in the ground, working the farm, f- uh, fishing on the lake, all day long. This was really hard work. And if you had some disability, you couldn't work. And so you couldn't participate in the economy. And there was no Social Security, uh, Medicaid, there was no disability. Like if you couldn't work, you could not eat and you would die. And your family would die. That was the way the world was. It was hard and brutal. So this man with the shriveled hand, yes, Jesus is healing a disease here, a, a disability. But it's more than that. Jesus is giving him his future back. Jesus is giving him his ability to be part of the economy once again. Jesus is giving his family an economic future. Jesus here on the Sabbath, he's healing a man. And thus healing his future and allowing him to once again partake in an economy where he could have dignity, where he could provide for his family. Jesus is enabling his economic future once again. That, friends, is the heart of the Sabbath. That, empowering an economic future by putting people over profit by putting people over exploitation by reminding ourselves that we serve God not whoever's in the White House not the Joint Chiefs of Staff not a country we serve God and our primary allegiances across all systems primarily and fundamentally, first and foremost, are to God. And so when we ask ourselves, how are we going to participate in this economy? We ask ourselves, what does God want us to do first? How will we honor God and in what we do every day and what we stand up for in our business practices? So Jesus said, stand up in front of everyone, man. I want you to stand up in front of everyone so everybody can see there is an injustice happening here that the people continue to push you aside. The leaders marginalize you. Stand up in front of everyone. Which is lawful, Jesus says, on the Sabbath. To do good or to do evil. To save life or to kill. I like how Jesus frames that and the way that I don't like it at all. Because it leaves us no choice, does it? What are we going to be? Are we going to be people who stand for good or not? We like the gray area, don't we? But Jesus here is not giving us any gray area. Jesus is saying, as you participate in the world around you, as you interact in the world around you today, tomorrow, the next day, at your business, at your job, and your retirement accounts, are you doing good? Are you bringing life? Or are you not? And so in this space, that's our question today, isn't it? How are we going to live economic lives, living out God's Sabbath every day? How are we going to do that? And this is not a message we like to hear. This is not a message we want to remind it of. But it's a message that Mark puts, gives us today. Jesus says, stretch out your hand, and he restored it and made it clean. But you know what? The Pharisees got really mad at that. Isn't that strange? Why would the Pharisees get mad at a healing? Well, I think of it this way. I think of, we would all want a medication. Imagine somebody invented a medication that healed the disease of all children, that healed all children everywhere. We would stand and say right now, we'd be like, yes! Yes! That would be amazing, wouldn't it? But then they were like, and this is free. I don't believe it would be so universally accepted at that point, would it? I believe maybe very powerful people would try to squash it, try to suppress it, try to patent it, try to make money off of it. That's our world. Where if somebody invented something amazing and healed people and freed them to a new life, there would be other forces that would say, "No, no, 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 this can't be because we would lose money." Miracles aren't always universally accepted, but the question we should ask ourselves on mir- when miracles happen, when the freedom of others, when when this community is freed. And given life, and that community is freed and given life, and this community is freed and given life. How do we feel about it? That shows you what side you're on. That shows you where your heart is. A few years ago when the LGBTQ community celebrated the finally the right to marry and be married, there were so many who were mad. You see, miracles aren't universally accepted. When the black community is given life and economic life and raised up and protected from violence, not everyone's happy about that. We, friends, should always celebrate when other communities are given life, given freedom, given empowered and economic future, We should all rejoice. Let our hearts not be hardened by the economy that we serve. Let our hearts not be hardened when someone finds freedom. Let us celebrate that. Let us give life to that. Let us get behind it and clap and shout and sing hallelujah, praise be to God. This is a miracle. God is at work. Today... Where are you in this story? Are you more like Pharisee who gets in the minutia of the law, the rules, makes an idol of the rules? Are you worried how this is going to play out if someone has a future of of freedom? If you're worried like, oh no, that may affect me in some way. Or are we going to be the people who celebrated life Those with Jesus who looked and said, Jesus is empowering a future for this person. That is the work of the church. Not to worry about who's following our rules, but whenever we encounter somebody to say, how is my life going to help your life? How can my resources help your resources how can i be a blessing to you and how can we as a community be a blessing to the community at large that's our call church that's who we should be so today let us be that because the world is coming to us hurting and in need And let us be the people who say, stretch out your hand. You have a future, and we are going to stand with you so that you can have a flourishing future forever. As we prepare our hearts for communion, let's pray together. Lord God of heaven, we give you thanks for this day, for your mercy, for your grace and life. Lord Jesus, we pray for those who have been marginalized in some way. Who have been pushed down or pushed aside we pray for those this morning that are not experiencing freedom who are not experiencing life and grace we pray that your mercy would fall and that they would be empowered that their hands would be healed that their lives restored and Jesus that we would be part of that restoration process that we would not be so worried about our own economic gain, but we would be also concerned with the economy of our neighbors, with their future, with their capacity, with their flourishing. God, we believe this is the work of the church. And so we pray that you would empower us to do it, that you would empower us to be the people who empower the future of our community, of our neighbor, of our friends, of those who are hurting so desperately. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.